Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of the Revelation. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 1. And we are going to continue ahead in the prologue. It's been such a blessing to me to study this and to share these truths with you each and every week. And I think that we are certainly uh, uh, being reminded of who Christ is and how much that He loves us. And here in Revelation chapter 1, we have this... Uh, introduction to the book of Revelation that is uh, such a strong uh, Jesus-centered encouragement uh, to us. And so Revelation chapter 1 verse 4, the Bible says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, and he extends to these churches that he is uh, encouraging them with this Trinitarian blessing or benediction of grace and peace. Think about how encouraging this would be to those churches to see that that grace and peace comes from the Father. Look at what it says here. Grace to you and peace from Him. In our past studies, we've seen Him as the Father, and He defines the Father as being outside of time. God who is outside of time is difficult for us to grasp, and so He puts it in terminology that helps us to see that God is, was, and always will be. So He extends grace to you and peace, first of all, from the Father who is and who was and who is to come. And then we've seen also that He extends grace and peace from the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God from the seven spirits who are before His throne. And also extends grace uh, to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in this section that we have spent uh, the lion's share of our time the last couple of weeks. And here's what He says about the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks in from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness... The first, firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he says to him who loves us, that's the first thing that we, that we saw that God present tense actively loves us. And the Bible says uh, in Romans 8 that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing. Once a person is a child of God, nothing can separate us. God so loved the world, but He still, present tense, loves us today. And the greatest way that He shows that He loves us, as we see here, to Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His Blood. So we spent some time unpacking what it means to be released from our sins. Our sin snares us like a 
trap, if you will, and seeks to destroy us, and we have no way to free ourselves. But Christ, through His finished work on the cross, releases us from the snare of sin, and He does it at great cost to Himself by satisfying the wrath of God that was determined for us. He poured out on Christ on the cross in order that we could be released from our sins by His blood. And here in verse 6, where our focus is, has been the last couple of weeks, He has made us to be a kingdom. Now look at this, and here's where we're going to focus in today. Priest to His God and Father. And then John says all of this is so overwhelming and powerful. He inserts a point of praise and says, To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right there in chapter 1 says, Amen. So let it be. So I want to focus on the idea this morning of what it means to be priests. Who is a priest and what does it mean that the Bible says that he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father? As we think about that word priest this morning, oftentimes we tend to think of perhaps a more liturgical church or we think about a Catholic priest or we think about a priest that would wear the collar and and and, and perform a, a, a certain religious services and things along those lines. We think about the word priest today and you might be looking at this and, and if that's your idea of what a priest is and you might be saying, that's not me and that's not who I am. And yet the Bible clearly says that, that he has made us, who's us? Us are his children who are present tense, loved by Jesus, who are released from our sins. He's made us a kingdom and he's made us priests, made us priests to his God and Father. So regardless of the, the uh, stereotypes and regardless of the images that we have in mind, We need to understand about the priesthood of the believer so that we can uh, better understand what God's making us into. What is a priest? Typically when it comes to priests, there are a couple of different mindsets that, that tend to come to mind. Not all of us are called to be pastors, elders. That's a different office uh, altogether. That's a leadership office within the church for organization and function and things along those lines. But all of us are called to be priests, to be priests. In fact, it says that he has made us to be priests. And this is not the only place that the Bible says it. It it says it really, it mentions it five times in the New Testament. We saw the first reference in the Old Testament where God looks at the nation of Israel and he says, you will be in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, a kingdom of priests. God's intention was for all of them to be a kingdom of priests to God. Now, because the people were sinful and because the people, because of their sin, would be separated from God, 
God chose Levitical priests or priests from the, 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 the tribe of Levi to enter into the holy of holies and the holy place and to make sacrifice on behalf of the people so that they could enter into the presence of God. Not anybody could just walk into the presence of God in the Old Testament because their sin had separated them from a holy God and it required someone to be a mediator, if you would, to come in between and to bring, if you will, the the two parties together. And God's plan in the Old Testament was that the priest would be the ones who would come in on behalf of uh on behalf of the people and make the sacrifice that God had determined that they would need to make in order to satisfy their sin debt before God. Now, they knew good and well that there's no blood of animals that would fully satisfy the wrath of God against their sins. But what it would do is it would foreshadow until the cross. And so they would do sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice until Christ died on the cross and was once and for all the sacrifice that was that was needed. But five times in the New Testament, it talks about this idea as well. And let's take a look at these and see if we can understand what it means to be a priest and what it means for for us. Go with me, if you would, to uh, hold your place in Revelation because three of them are found in Revelation. And the other place in the New Testament is 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll just pick up in verse 4. The Bible says, In coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones. Now look at this. Christ is a living stone. The idea is, that is, a, is a picture of a temple, but rather the temple being made with blocks and bricks. It's made with stones, and these stones are living, living. Coming to him as to a living stone, verse 4 says, which has been rejected by, by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So God is taking individual stones and he's fashioning us in the quarry, if you will, and putting us together together with other living stones to make the a spiritual house, to make a, a temple, to make a temple. But he also says we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Look over in verse 9. Hold your place there. Look over in verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. For God's own possession. We also see in the book of Revelation two other times. Hold your place in First Peter. We'll come back and, and understand the responsibilities there. But let's just kind of survey all the text. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, as we read, He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. Go over to Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. 
Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Revelation chapter 5 verse 10. And then finally, Revelation chapter 20 verse 6. Revelation chapter 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So, beloved, if the Bible says at one time it's enough, and if it says at one time it's true, and if it says at one time it's to be understood and believed and applied, but here in the New Testament it says five times that He has made us priests to our God. So how do we understand what that means? I think the way to uh, understand what that means is to understand the privilege of being a priest, first of all. Secondly, to understand what we are to proclaim as priests. And then finally, what we are to provide. So we're going to look at these three words today in relation to what's called the priesthood of believers, our privilege, uh, our proclamation, and our provision, what we provide uh, to God as priests. And with this understanding, then uh, hopefully uh, each of us, and you may have never even thought about the fact that we are uh that we are priests, we'll leave here today with a greater understanding of the priesthood of the believer. So what does it mean to be a priest? If every believer is a priest and are made a kingdom, priest to our God, it means, first of all, that we have a privilege. The privilege of this doctrine of the priesthood of the believer means that we have direct access to God with no intervening of any special cadre of human priests. That we have direct access to God. Remember in the Old Testament, priests alone could go into the holy place and into the holy of holies. Now through Christ, we all enter into the holy place and we all have access to God. That's what it means to be a priest. It means that nobody has to go to God on your behalf. You have access. I have access directly to God. You don't need a pastor to give you the scriptures because you have access to God. You can go into the presence of God with the scriptures and God can give you understanding and interpretation directly from him. You don't have to go before a priest. You don't have to go before a pastor. You don't need me to do any kind of spiritual service to give you uh, to give you access to God. Because you are saved, because Jesus Christ is our high priest and also the sacrifice that he paid once for sins, you and I are now, because the veil of the temple was rent in two through the blood of Christ, we have access to God. We don't need a Catholic priest to help us to understand what the Bible says. We don't need anyone to to confess our sins to, and we don't need anyone announce the forgiveness of our sins. To have 
direct access to God is a privilege and a privilege that only New Testament born-again believers have. Outside of being a New Testament born-again believer, there is no access to God because you and I can't enter there in our own worth, in our own way, and by our own means. The Bible says that our sin, listen, it doesn't give us access to God. Our sin separates us from God. And yet through the finished work of Christ on the cross and through his shed blood and through his renting of the temple veil, we who have repented and believed and confessed Christ as Savior and Lord, listen, we are welcomed into the presence of God and we can just go in. He invites us into his presence. He invites us to come in. He welcomes us into his presence. There's no one you have to ask permission from. There is no special place that you have to go. There's no special posture that you have to be in. You bow your head in prayer. You bow the knee in prayer. Whatever your prayer posture is, whatever it is, you are welcomed now through the blood of Christ. You are welcomed into his presence because part of being a priest means that you have the privilege of access to God. Now, folks, we could stop right there. Because if you don't understand anything else about the priesthood of believer, then understand this, that you don't need a pastor or anyone in order to go into the presence of God. You simply go when you want to, as you want to, and God welcomes and receives and hears and answers according to his will and works on our behalf. Some of you have grandchildren. And you know how it is, particularly if you don't get to see the grandchildren very often, that when you finally see them and they come into your presence, it sure is good that you just welcome them into your presence. Now, are those grandchildren perfect? Come on now. They're not perfect, are they? You know why they're not perfect? Because they're just like their grandparents. (laughs) Right? That's right. So here's the thing, though. But even though they're not perfect, do you welcome them into your presence? How much more? Why? Because they're precious. How much more are we who are priests, who have been, right, released from the snare of sin, who our pardon has been purchased through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, welcomed into the presence of God directly because of the privilege we have through Christ and through Christ alone. Direct access to God. You know what's sad, though? You have direct access to God and don't even take advantage of it as much as you should. You have direct access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Creator, the Maintainer, the Sustainer of all that's here, the one who can meet every need that you have, the one that can provide for your need, the one that can give you peace in the midst of tribulation and understanding, the one that can do all of these things. And when you look at the number of hours of your day that you do not spend in the presence of God, so to speak, 
heart attitude towards prayer. Spend time in His Word. We, beloved, do not take advantage of the access that we have to God. And I hope of nothing else to remind you today of the privilege that we have as priests to come into the presence of God. And listen, from God's perspective, He sees you through the blood of Christ. All of your sins have been forgiven, both past, present, and future. And you're in relationship with God. Now, what happens is, is when we sin, it disrupts our fellowship with God. And you can't enter into the presence of God outside of fellowship with God and feel comfortable. We need to confess our sins even as believers so that we can be in a right fellowship with God. But listen, you have you have direct access to God, and it's one of your privileges because of the priesthood of the believer. But there's another one. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that. That means that he's done all this for a purpose, and part of that purpose is not just to give you access, not just to give you access to privilege, but also to proclaim. To proclaim. Notice what it says. He has done these things so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now, listen to this, now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what he says then is this. The word proclaim, you can't proclaim without opening your mouth. You can't proclaim without verbalizing these things. So part of being a priest is, yes, the privilege to have access to God, but also the privilege of proclaiming the excellencies about who God is. When is the last time, beloved, that you shared about the grace of God that was poured out upon you? When is the last time you shared with someone about the mercies of God? When is the last time that you proclaimed the the goodness of God and, and how He's answered prayer or how he has provided a need or how he has done some other work. When is the last time that you just proclaim the excellencies of God because you are thankful that you are saved and no longer separated from God and that one day you will be in his physical presence with him in heaven forever? When is the last time that those excellencies were proclaimed from your lips. I think there's three groups of people, if you will, that these excellencies ought to be proclaimed from our lips. Number one, I think it ought to be proclaimed and it is proclaimed in our worship service. When we come here, that we have a 
Christ-centered understanding of worship. And we come here, and when we come here, we speak the truths about God. We turn our attention. We sing songs about God. We proclaim the excellencies of God as believers in our worship service, pointing one another to Christ and encouraging and edifying and lifting up one another and pointing each other to Christ. That is part of what we do in this worship service is set aside the cares of the world for just a little while and to focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a second time that we ought to do that. When we are away from this place, we ought to be, right, proclaiming the excellencies of God with lost people. Lost people have an experience to... Uh, the grace and mercy that you have. Lost people haven't experienced the salvation that has been purchased through the shed blood of Christ. Lost people, they don't read the Word of God with understanding. You and I perhaps are the only Bible that they will ever read. You and I ought to be proclaiming the excellencies of God to lost people all around us, not in a condescending, judgmental, looking at them down their nose as though we're better people than they are. But coming to them and expressing who God is to us and what salvation means to us in a way that they too will long for salvation in Christ and to be saved and to have the privilege of access to God. To proclaim His excellencies means that we will spend time in His Word and the things that He is teaching us about Himself in His Word will be the very things that God will bring to our lips and will bring to our mind and remembrance as we see lost people on our way and we seek to encourage them and point them to Christ and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Beloved, if you're going to accept the priesthood privilege of having direct access to God, then we have to accept the responsibility of proclaiming his excellencies well let's be let's like i mean that's not hard it's not hard are you kidding me you go to a restaurant and have a bad experience and tell everybody about it (laughs) right you go to a restaurant and have a great experience and you tell everybody tell people about it you have no problem proclaiming Right? I have no problem proclaiming, but we've got to proclaim the excellencies of God so that others can see Him as real. Most people have this foreign idea, understanding. Most people's vision and view of God is so small and so limited and so unrealistic to who God is and who God is to you that they need us. Lost people need us. People far from God need us to proclaim His excellencies and be reminded that God is holy, that God is just, that God is love, that God is grace and mercy. But God will come as judge. Lost people need to be reminded that God is absolutely fair in His justice and in His judgment and that they do not want God to treat them fairly, giving them what they deserve. 
We don't want God treating us fairly, giving us what we deserve because all we deserve is to be separated from God. But he loves us. He sent his son to die for us. And he, listen, he reveals himself to us. His, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. People seem to forget that. He's omnipotent. He is all powerful. He is omniscient, omniscience. He is all knowing. He is all of these things. And the more you know him, the more you love him, the more you know about him, the more you want to share those things with others. So it is our responsibility as priests to proclaim the excellencies of our God. Beloved, never forget who you were before Christ saved you and never forget who you are now that Christ has saved you and share that truth with the world. Michelle wouldn't mind me telling you this, but she was on a bus trip uh, with a church that we were attending prior to me being called into the ministry. And it was a singles ministry and long before we were married and they were on their way to Florida and they were going to go do mission work and evangelism and things like that down in Florida and on the way down there, the pastor was kind of helping them to know how to share their testimony. And he says, you know, to, to share your testimony is, is really very easy. You talk about your life before you came to Christ. You don't glorify the sin and those sort of things, but you let people know what your life was like before you came to Christ. And then secondly, you let them know how you came to profess faith in Christ, how you came to discover who he was, what he did for you, and uh, and all those things. And, and then lastly, you talk about how your life has, has changed since knowing Christ. And Michelle's own testimony is this, believing that she was a believer at that time because she had made a profession of faith earlier in life. She said, I could easily talk about my life before Christ and I could easily share about when I was at vacation Bible school and going forward and, and making a decision, you know, for Christ and, and being baptized. But she stumbled. She stumbled over the part about how her life had changed since knowing Christ. She didn't share that with anyone, but it was a burden on her own heart, and it was a struggle, and it was something that she could not get over. And the long story short is is that led the way for Michelle at a later date to come to the understanding that though she had was raised in church and, and, and though her dad was a gospel singer and though all of these things are – our, our, our religious activities and all these things were true. And though she had walked an aisle and though she had shaken the pastor's hand and signed a card and even passed through the baptismal waters, she was lost. And if she would have died, she would have not entered into the presence of God, but have been separated from God forever in hell for eternity. You see, if you're not proclaiming the excellencies of Christ, then you might need to say, hey, why am I not proclaiming the excellencies of Christ? If you can't share your testimony, beloved, it may be in your heart of hearts that you know in reality you don't have a testimony to share. Now, there's no shame. There's no shame in that being true of you today. The shame is staying in that condition. 
There's no shame in God's grace and mercy bringing you to the realization that though you are religious and have some religious activity that you really have never been born again. You've never, you've never been saved. There's no shame in coming to that realization today. I've baptized deacons. I've baptized organ players. I've baptized Sunday school teachers and others who have come to the understanding that they thought that they were saved, but in reality, when it came down to it and considering their testimony before God, they recognized that they didn't have one because they were not saved. If that's where you are today, it's God in his mercy that reveals his lostness to you because he's drawn you to himself and he wants you to be saved. There's no no shame in that. But I promise you this, when God gloriously miraculously and radically transforms your life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and as we saw last week delivers you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son of the beloved listen and he saves you you cannot keep quiet about it you have to share that with everyone Because you once were not a people, but now you are a people. You once had not received grace, but now you have received grace. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you once were trying to earn your your acceptance before God through religious activity and deeds and thinking that you were okay. But listen, once you generally get saved, no one can keep your mouth shut. You just proclaim... The excellencies of the one who saved you because you once were not a people, but now you are people and not just a people. First Peter says that you are the people of God. So not only do we see the privilege that we have uh, as priests to have direct access to God. And not only do we see the proclamation that God has placed within us to share his excellencies, but we also offer up to God spiritual sacrifices. I'm calling it provision. It's It's what God provides us to offer up to him as sacrifice. What, what, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Uh, if, if you would, um, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. Here's what he says in, in verse 5. He says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. And now he doesn't say so that, but here he says to. That's a purpose preposition. Why did he make you a holy priesthood? First Peter chapter 2 verse 5. He says to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I think Two of those three things are easy to understand. Anything that we have to offer up is going to be offered up to God. That's easy to understand. God is the only one deserving of any sacrifices that we might present. And it's easy to see that the only way that we have access to God, as we've already seen, is through Jesus Christ. So if we're going to offer anything up to God, it's going to have to be through Christ. That's pretty easy for us to understand. 
But you may be here this morning, you may be saying, now wait a minute, Pastor, I'm a New Testament Christian. We don't offer sacrifices. We're not going to go out and, and get a lamb. Are we going to clear the, the screen away and, and begin to make this table and altar and sacrifice and sprinkle blood everywhere like they did in the Old Testament? No, no, no. We don't have to do that. It's not sacrifices that we offer up to God because it's through Christ. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for sin on our behalf. Christ shed His own blood in order that you and I could have the remission and the forgiveness of sins. It's not a physical sacrifice that we offer up to God through Christ. It is a spiritual sacrifice. So what in the world is a spiritual sacrifice? As I studied the scripture to kind of understand more of the spiritual sacrifice that we offer up to God through Jesus Christ, specifically using the same language, there are spiritual sacrifices that the Bible says that we offer up to God through Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at those and see exactly what it means. If we are to offer up these spiritual sacrifices, then I don't know about you, but I want to know what they are that I'm supposed to be doing. So first of all, go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or my translation says your spiritual service of worship. So the first thing that we offer up as a spiritual sacrifice to God is ourselves, our own body. In the Old Testament, they would take that animal and what they would do is they would slay the animal, they would skin it, they would they would drain the blood and all those things. And on the altar would be two hooks, be two hooks. And they would take that animal and they would pick it up and they would pierce it on those two hooks on the altar. And the reason they did that is because as they applied the fire and as the grease and everything, it all began uh, to happen. It wouldn't slide off the altar. It would stay there because that sacrifice was on those two hooks. When this is talking about the fact that he, we are to present our bodies not as a dead sacrifice, God doesn't want our dead bodies. He wants our living bodies alive. He wants us to willingly place ourselves on the altar. Notice what it says. How do we do that? We present ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God. You know what the problem is with us being a living sacrifice? Is we always have a tendency to crawl off the altar, right? Have we ever, you ever presented yourself to God and say, God, here I am. I'm sorry I've not been what I need to be. I'm sorry I haven't done this and haven't done that. But God, here I am. I'm presenting myself to you again. God, here I am. I'm making this commitment again. And then what happens in just a little while later, you begin to take your eyes off God and put them back on the things around you and begin to slide back off. And we as living sacrifices have a tendency to have a tendency to crawl off the altar. 
No wonder as priests we need to, right? You know people, they, they once were a part of this and part of what we're doing and what have they done. They presented their bodies here. They were part of us. They were part of the church. They were part of the things that were going on. Both here at Doxa and other places as well. It's not just here. Other places as well. They were a part of it, but they no longer present their bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. They've crawled off the altar and become more concerned about other things. Beloved, we need the two hooks to hold us on the altar as we present ourselves as living sacrifice. And those two hooks, uh, Chuck Swindoll says, are devotion and duty. Devotion means that we are devoted to God, that we spend time in His Word. We're constantly reminded of who God is. And as we remain devoted and called to Him, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And then the other one is duty. We engage in, as we present our bodies, we engage in the spiritual service that's needed and necessary. When you use your spiritual gifts, when you serve the body of Christ, when you set up and take down or serve in the nursery or do children's ministry or serve in any way capacity, you are offering your bodies as a living sacrifice to God to be used for His glory. You're offering yourself in worship to God in spiritual worship presenting yourself in the worship context as is offering up yourselves as a spiritual worship to God. But there's another thing uh, as well. Look in Philippians chapter 4. Turn to the right in your Bible, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4. And here in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about an offering that they had taken up and they had received on, on behalf of missions and had been distributed. And here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, he's talking to them about the offering. We'll just pick up in verse 15 to kind of give us the flow of thought. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. You alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. What kind of gift do you think he's talking about? They took up an offering. It was a monetary gift. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus that which you have sent. Could you imagine that? I don't, I don't think I've ever known a pastor, maybe on a couple of cases with the building fund or some special offering to say, people, stop giving. You've given more than enough to meet the need. They did in the Old Testament. God said we need these things and these things and these things to build the temple and to build even the temporary temple, what would be equated to millions and millions of dollars a day. And they had to tell the people to stop bringing the gifts because they were too many and they had more than enough to do the work that God had called them to do. Notice what he calls this. though. He says, I am amply supplied, verse 18, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. And what did they send? It was a fragrant Offering, it was an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to 
God. Every time you write a check that says Docs of Church or place cash in an envelope and you give that to, not to me, you give that to the Lord. You are setting aside the first fruits and giving those things to the Lord. I want you to understand that you are giving a sacrifice unto God. And notice what it says about that. An acceptable sacrifice and it is well pleasing to God. But the truth of the matter is if you give out of any other reason other than presenting a sacrifice to God, you're giving out of the wrong means and out of the wrong motives. Your giving to God will never earn you one iota. God doesn't look at you any different whether you give $10 or you give $100,000. God is not interested in the amount that you give. What he is interested in is that what you give is a sacrifice acceptable to God and well-pleasing to God. What he is concerned about is that you give with the right heart means and the right heart motive so that it will be acceptable and pleasing to God. And then one other, and I'll just touch base on it, found the book of Hebrews, and it says the fruit of our lips is praise, and that's a sacrifice of praise offering up to God. And we touched base with that on the proclaiming the excellencies of him. But the Bible does use that that terminology as well. It says that when we come together and worship, that what we do is, is we offer up a testimony. We offer up praise to God from our lips. And what we do is, is we come into his presence and we not just ask for things, but we praise him and we give him glory. With all of that in mind, I hope you can now see and understand, beloved, that he has saved us. He loves us. He's released us from our sins. And we are a kingdom priest to our God to offer up spiritual sacrifices. No wonder, no wonder then John says this after being reminded of the fact that he loves us, releases from our sins, and has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. No wonder he breaks out with this pronouncement of praise in Revelation chapter 1. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And here in the prologue of the book of the Revelation, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, adds, Amen. And amen. May God bless the preaching of his word. So I have to ask you this question in closing. Number one, are you saved? Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? Do you, is there a point in time in your life where God saved you? Is there a place where you cried out to God and you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Is there, is there a period, a point, a particular point of time where you have been saved, redeemed, right, forgiven? Your sin debt that you had stored up your entire life to God has the blood of Christ applied to it so it can be forgiven and be removed. Have you ever come to the place in your life that you understood that you were lost and cannot save yourself and you have come to the place where you cried out to God for mercy? You said, oh Lord God, I am a sinner and I have done wicked and I am guilty before you and I have no way, means, or ability to save myself. 
But I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the very God who came to this earth to live the life that I could not live. And He died the cruel death on the cross in my place that I should have died. And I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn from them. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be my Savior and to forgive me and to bring me into the family of God. Beloved, not that a prayer alone will save you, particularly if the motives and the heart's not pure, not right. But has there been a point in time in your life where you cried out to God and He saved you? Michelle says it this in this way in her testimony. She says that she was at a tent revival similar to the one that's going on in Burlington right now. And she went down because she wanted to rededicate her life to the Lord. And when she went to rededicate her life to the Lord because she'd been living contrary to the ways of God. Not just because she was dating me, by the way. And don't, don't, don't be making that conclusion. Though some would probably say that's probably why, but they need, needless to say, when she went down to rededicate her life to the Lord, God clearly showed her that she could not rededicate something she had never given. She didn't need to recommit her life to Christ, beloved. She needed to commit her life to Christ. And there alone in her apartment on her knees in front of her couch, she cried out to God to save her and he did. If you're here today and you've never been saved, beloved, that's the first step. That's the first step in your walk and in your relationship with God. But those of you that are here and that are saved, you are a kingdom priest to the God of the Lord Jesus Christ that he purchased through his blood. But we have the privilege and the responsibility to take full advantage of the access and the privilege that we have of having access to God and engaging in spiritual service. May God find us faithful and may what we offer as spiritual sacrifice to the Lord be well-pleasing to God and may it be for His glory and His power and His dominion forever and ever. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for each person here today. I pray, Father, for whatever the next steps are that they need to take. That, Father, by Your grace and mercy, that, Lord, that You would enable them to take the very next step in their walk with You. Father, I pray that You will use the going forth of Your Word in ways beyond our means or imagination. And, Father, that it would never return void as You've promised in Your Word. May it accomplish that for which it goes out to today. May souls be saved, lives be changed, and the kingdom of God advanced. And we're going to give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of the Revelation. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A-Burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message.